Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Zion Addison. Our guest on the show today is historian and author Tom Welsh. Tom has written several books, which include Classic Restaurants of Youngstown, where he examines the history of local dining establishments, and Strauss's right. Youngstown's Dependable Department Store, which looks at the history of the iconic Youngstown retailer. Thanks for joining us today, Tom. Thanks so much, Sam. I appreciate it. Now, um, before we discuss some of your work, I just want to ask, like, could you tell us um, about where you grew up and what that was like? Oh, sure. I grew up on the west side of Youngstown, okay. and, uh, and I was aware of the fact uh, from a very early age uh, that this was an industrial working class community mm-hmm. with some ethnic diversity. Um, much of the uh, west side is, at that point was, was Eastern European. Okay. Uh, that wasn't my background, but certainly we had, uh, you couldn't take a bus <laughs> anywhere from the west side without hearing languages that I'm sure included Croatian, Serbian, uh, uh, Slovak. Um, so I was aware very early on about the history, about the uh, the fact that, that, that industry had a lot to do with shaping this community okay. because these people came here for a reason. My grandfather had been born in Briar Hill. And uh, on Clyde Street, and the house was standing until fairly recently. And so from him, and he was born in 1893, so from him I developed a real sense of how uh, vibrant uh, the community had been economically, socially, culturally. Um, So probably in the 70s I had a sense more than many of my peers that Youngstown was not at its peak Mm -hmm. (laughs) at that Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And this was before the steel mills collapsed. But those, those experiences, family lore, I think uh, growing up in a part of the city that was really shaped by the uh, development of industry, you know, um, uh, gave me a real appreciation for the community's past when I was relatively young. That's, um, I mean, that, that's very interesting to me, just growing up in general, like in Youngstown. Right. Um, but how would you say in like regards to the book that you wrote about the classic restaurants, how does that tie in? Like when you were growing up, were you aware of how there was a connection between like food and community and how? Like, oh, sure. Sure. I mean, uh, well, for one thing, if you're, if you grow up in Youngstown, you're almost, uh, you're practically an Italian American, an honorary <laughs> Italian American because when it comes to cuisine, because, uh, we used to frequent, uh, a little restaurant in Austintown called Michelangelo's. Okay. Uh, we, uh, occasionally went to, uh, a uh, little family-owned uh, tavern on Steel Street, uh, Salt Springs Road, I'm sorry, called uh, Molly's, Molly O'Day's. Uh, and, and the other thing was that when you, uh, I went to a parochial school on the west side. Okay. And uh, uh, you could just tell by what people brought to lunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, when, I, when a neighbor's uh, family would invite me to dinner, I got uh, uh, pigs in a blanket. Because they happen to be Slovak, okay, yeah. um, uh, and and so much of our food culture is really defined by the fact that people from not only other parts of the world but other mm-hmm. parts of the country came here. You know, uh, a great barbecue tradition. Uh, I remember Sea Staples when in its original location. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after a rough night, <laughs> college students would, would, would stop there late at night, uh, early morning, whatever you prefer. 
but uh, but we have uh, you know our our cuisine in this in this community was very much shaped by the fact that this was a destination for so mm -hmm. many people seeking jobs, primarily in the steel industry. And when you go south, even to central Ohio, mm -hmm. you know places like Columbus, you're going to find that the cuisine is very different. It's much more shaped by say northern European influences. So um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, the restaurants are really a reflection of our yeah. our ethnic and racial diversity. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like even outside of Ohio, many cities across the country they seem to have like local foods that are tied to the area's identity. Right. right. Like whether that's like Chicago deep dish tacos in Los Angeles, or, like exactly. New York style pizza. What would you? Is there anything specifically that you would say would be the the makeup of Youngstown's cultural identity when it comes to food? Well, some of the some of the most uh, uh, recognizably Youngstown dishes would be Briar Hill Pizza, okay. which uh, came out of, of, of that neighborhood because, uh, you know, during the 1930s, during the Depression, uh, 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 people in Briar Hill who were in dire economic straits, which was probably most of them, <laughs> you know, would mm -hmm. get relief uh, services. They would get a, a can of flour, okay. you know, every week from, uh, from a relief agency. And... Uh, and the workers, the Italian-American workers in the neighborhood, uh, requisitioned bricks from some of the local uh, hmm. steel uh, mills mm -hmm. that were discarded, and they built uh, brick ovens oh, wow. you know, on every other block. And, of course, Briar Hill at that time had cobble, cobblestone streets, yeah, yeah. and then you had this... Uh, you know, smell of bread. You know, uh, you know uh, uh, drifting from the from the neighborhood. So it was a it was a much different neighborhood than. Mm -hmm. There's very little trace of what it was then today, but uh, basically the women would take turns. They would take shifts. You know, baking bread, and uh, if there was some flour left over, they would take the tin, the, the flour tin and make a pizza. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and the pizza was a very simple Southern Italian. Oh, wow. uh, treat you know it, it was a thin crust pizza mm -hmm. uh unadorned by our standards you know just a little bit of uh well yeah, tomato paste uh, some peppers and uh and providing they had some cheese you know that became part of it as well okay. you know so it was a uh it was a treat that came out of that probably the first person to popularize the term briar hill pizza mm -hmm. Uh, was Nick Levanti, who had Levanti's Pizza on Belmont Avenue. Oh, okay. But but Briar Hill is a term that can be applied to you know uh, St. Anthony's Pizza, okay, for okay. instance, which is still being baked uh, once a week down at uh, uh, down on Turin Street in uh, in Briar Hill. And and it's certainly something people recognize. Another one is wedding soup, which oh, okay. uh, and if you if you order wedding soup in another part of the country where they even even as as uh, nearby as Cleveland, mm -hmm. you know, if you ask for wedding soup, you're going to get something that's uh, fundamentally different than uh -huh. what we consider to be uh, wedding soups. So those are two right off the top of my head that are closely associated with Youngstown. And when Pizza Hut established a presence uh, yeah. here in the area, they were compelled to add Briar Hill Pizza uh -huh. to their menu, <laughs> of course, of <laughs> which course. is a, an indication of how popular it yeah. became. Uh, there are so many others, though. I mean, we have we have uh, unique barbecue traditions. We have um, a lot of Eastern Euro European food that was not uh, uh, commodified, if you will, in the mm -hmm. past. You know, you'd buy it at church uh, functions or, or fraternal organizations like St. George Croatian Center, for instance, on Vessel Road. You didn't, it wasn't out there in restaurants. Oh, okay. uh, not all groups were particularly good at, you know... Uh, 
marketing their food. Uh, but those Eastern European, uh, uh, you know, traditions uh, are are very evident, and you're starting to see more and more of them in restaurants. The whole cookie table tradition, I think, comes mm-hmm. out of the Italian and Eastern European influence in this area. And I grew up with some wonderful cookies. Now I'm gluten free, okay. so I'm glad I took advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, um, I like how you didn't mention about like how um, resourceful people were in Briar Hill, like when they were. Oh yeah, greens for the bread yeah, and all of that. Sure. Um, now, part of the overview for the classic restaurants of Youngstown, it mentions that dining that dining out was something that endured during the tightening of the Rust Belt. Um, so, I, what, why was that the case? That even in tough economic times, people still decided to frequent restaurants here. Well, that, that's a very good question because you know that was another surprise came when we uh, looked at the early history. And I, when I say early, I mean we basically. The narrative goes from essentially 1945 to the present. Okay. But we had a, uh, there was a point in the book where we discussed the Depression era mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how many restaurants were thriving during the Depression, oh, yeah. which again is counterintuitive. Um, I, I, think, I, th- I think part of it was uh, that, um, uh, bear in mind, a lot of these locally owned restaurants were not, uh, you know, you got a good value. Oh, yeah. You know, you didn't necessarily, uh, and that's one thing people forget. You're not only contributing to the local economy, but you're tending to get food that is, uh, uh, you know, fresher, mm-hmm. you know, prepared locally. Yeah. And, uh, and it's relatively cheap. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that was part of it, for sure. Um, but, um, but, 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 but I think the other part is that, you know, uh, no matter how tough things get, you're going to have restaurants and you're going to have taverns. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. You know, people love to eat. There's no question about it. So what is the oldest restaurant in the city? That's... The oldest operating restaurant? Yes, yeah. That's, uh, that's a good question because the, uh, uh, I, I, the MVR probably has a claim. But the okay. Golden Dawn has a claim, too. And, I mean, you, it depends on who you believe. Okay. Because everyone claims to have the first uh, liquor license in okay. Youngstead, Ohio. You know, the, uh, uh, in fact, there are three. What am I thinking? There's the, uh, uh, the Royal Oaks. The Royal uh, Oaks. They uh, all, because everyone got their liquor license in 1934. Okay. But there's a big argument about who was first. <laughs> so I would say, <laughs> in the interest of being diplomatic, yeah. those three all have a claim to being the oldest continually operating oh, wow. restaurants in Youngstown. Kravitz's was established in 1939, so it's certainly in the running, but it's not mm-hmm. quite as old. Now, would there be a reason as to why, like when you were writing and doing some research, I'm sure, did you find like there was a certain quality or maybe qualities that allowed some restaurants to last longer than others? Well, I think I think part of it is the uh, they the first of all the quality of the food was important. Okay. You know that had to be maintained. Uh, the other was I, I think they provided a feeling of continuity mm-hmm. because in many cases neighbor you know neighborhood restaurants like the um, uh, uh, the Boulevard, which sadly is no longer with us, but which was still operating at the time, and. Um, and, and Golden Dawn, you know, mm-hmm. are in neighborhoods that have uh, been diminished over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the Golden Dawn opened at that location back in the 40s, that was the, that was the, the venue of the Wick Six. I mean, you had uh-huh. upscale auto dealers in that area. You had a, a fairly vibrant neighborhood. 
The boulevard was also uh, in, in, in the vicinity of St. Dominic's Church. I mean, there was a fairly vibrant neighborhood there. Um, the, those, the restaurants that have had success that uh, oftentimes have been very successful at drawing not only new customers, but drawing people back into the neighborhood who remember the restaurant mm-hmm. from the period when they grew up there. Um, and then you have restaurants like, so I would, I would put the Golden Dawn uh, and, and the MVR in that, in that category as well. The MVR's history is, uh, is very uh, uh, entangled, if you will, with the history of Youngstown State University because okay. the expansion of the university benefited the MVR. Um, the, uh, the clearing of the old Smoky Hollow neighborhood, which would seem to be a disadvantage, mm-hmm. in some ways helped the restaurant because a lot of that had become blight. Mm-hmm. You know, these were older homes, they were relatively modest to begin yeah. with, yeah. and they were in poor repair. So when the neighborhood, uh, when, the, when the university cleared a lot of those homes, purchased them from the original owners, that became, uh, that became more widely viewed as a safe destination, as you will, okay. as a more attractive destination. And, of course, they drew people not only from the university, but people who grew up in Smoky Hollow and people from all around the city. Um, uh, they were very, in fact, they, one could argue that they went from being a local restaurant, mm-hmm. one neighborhood restaurant, to becoming a community restaurant, one that became a destination for people from throughout the community. Uh, Kravitz's is a, is a good example of, of a restaurant that was operating on the Elm Street at Elm Street uh, in two, two different locations okay. from 1939 to 1970 and uh, kind of reinvented itself as Kravitz's. It was originally the Elm Street delicatessen. It reinvented itself as Kravitz's uh, when it moved to Belmont, mm-hmm. retained a lot of its original clientele. Uh, in more recent years, though, it has... Uh, really uh, taken to another level what Rose Kravitz was doing years ago. She was appealing to people in the neighborhood, not all of whom happened to be Jewish. Uh-huh. So there were was, there was Scandinavian uh, delicacies that were served at, okay. at Kravitz's back when they were on Elm Street because they had a Swedish neighborhood mm-hmm. nearby, okay? And, of course, now you have Jack Kravitz taking it to another level with, you know, the... Uh, uh, the Punchkis, you know, the on Fat Tuesday, which is a Polish tradition. Okay. It's a, a, a dessert roll uh, that's uh, served right before Lent. Okay. okay. Uh, the St. Patrick's Day week, you know, I mean, and uh, all those things are counterintuitive in a way because these are cultures that aren't necessarily, you know, uh, they're different cultures than, 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 than Jack's culture. Okay. But he's reaching out to those groups in ways that make sense and ways that... Uh, have turned uh, Kravitz's into a very popular destination for a wide variety of people. So I would say the combination of of creating a sense of continuity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but also finding novel ways to reach out to new customers. I see, I see. Right. The, that connection between food and history, that can clearly be important to a city. What, what role do you think na- uh, nostalgia plays in all of this? Oh, nostalgia is important. I think, uh, uh, but one of the phenomena that that I think is uh, is is really interesting right now is that we have, when it came to keeping the history of our community alive, we relied very heavily on nostalgia. And the problem with that is that nostalgia is, by its very nature, a little bit exclusive. Mm, okay. You know, I'm part of a club 
who remembers when Youngstown was oh, okay. vibrant, when the steel mills were uh, were were in full swing, you know, mm-hmm. um, when the downtown was a major entertainment and, uh, 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 you know, uh, retail district. Um, and I remember even hearing older people talk to me about what Youngstown had been like when they grew up. And it was sometimes, sometimes the, the, uh, uh, the concluding line was uh, uh, along the lines of, uh, uh, I feel sorry for you young oh, yeah. people, you know, and yeah. that doesn't make you feel good. No. It's almost, a, <laughs> there's almost an accusatory yeah. tone in there, like yeah. you're somehow responsible for things changing. And in fact, if anyone's responsible, and I don't think blame is, is, is appropriate in this case, but it's certainly the people who came before me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whose behavior, patterns of behavior contributed to these developments. But, but I think what you have now, which is really interesting, is that you have people who are older who remember when the community was more vibrant, mm-hmm. um, being viewed by younger people as resources, and they kind of sense that. Mm. They may not know why, <laughs> but, they, but they're, they're suddenly viewed as people who are... Uh, uh, who can provide very useful information about the history of the community mm-hmm. because younger people are more and more looking to that history as part of their collective identity. And this shouldn't surprise us too much. When you think of Chicago, you know, how mm-hmm. many people remember, I don't know, if you think about authors like Ernest Hemingway or Carl Sandburg oh, yeah. or more infamous characters like El Capone, how many people are walking around who have personal memories of yeah. these people, okay? Yeah. And yet you go to Chicago, people are, tend to be fairly well-versed on the history of their community. They see it as important. And maybe being a, a mid-sized community, we were, didn't have the confidence of, of some okay. larger metropolitan areas. But I think there's a growing recognition among people in general, and young people in particular, that that history matters, that that is something we can commodify uh, to... Uh, call attention to our community in a more positive way and and possibly even turn the community into a destination. Wow. wow. Now, even just going back a little bit to before you started writing these books or if, sorry, excuse me. Sure. Before you even came up with the idea of of writing about Youngstown's restaurants, how did you arrive to that point? How did, well, it's it's funny because it was, it was, uh, I, I had just written a dissertation on the, on the uh, the decline of Youngstown's Catholic elementary mm-hmm. schools, and that was uh, published by a press uh, out of Baltimore, Baltimore, eventually. Uh, but I realized that my field was contracting. Field of Foundations of Education was uh, has was almost disappearing before my eyes, and um, um, but I had written a book that really in some ways functioned as a social history of Youngstown. Yeah. And I started working, uh, just reaching out to people in the community that were doing things like uh, uh, the Center for Working Class Studies had something called Steel Valley Voices. Started doing interviews with people of various groups, the, the Jewish community, the African American community, the Indian American community, mm-hmm. even one gentleman from the uh, 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 Polynesian community, from the uh, uh, island kingdom of, of Tonga, the one, wow. the one we yeah. have. <laughs> and, in any case, uh, um, uh, also became involved with uh, Richard Scarcella, Sandra Sika, George Bielan, and others, Father Rujak, in something called the Ethnic Heritage Society. And okay. apart from holding presentations at Kravitz Deli, we also were building an archive. There's something called the Ethnic Heritage Society Collection of the Mahoning Valley Historical okay. Society, which includes 
well, material from Tabernacle Baptist Church, from, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember, the uh, uh, Holy Trinity Ukrainian mm-hmm. Byzantine Catholic Church. Uh, uh, the interviews from the Jewish Youngstown Project are all preserved by the transcripts. So it's, it's a fairly substantial collection. Uh, Sherry Lincoln, who at that point was the co-director of the Center for Working Class Studies, she's now at Georgetown, but she uh, uh, basically, she, appro- she was aware of some of the things I was doing. She approached me about the possibility of taking on a big project, the history of the, of, of the Jewish community. Yeah, the Federation was looking for someone to do that, uh, to handle that project. And I uh, had some difficulty finding a publisher. Yeah. Because the university presses, if something is commissioned, they think it might be celebratory. It might not qualify right. as real history. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, they said, we'll do it for $25,000. You know, and that was not viable. So I approached the History Press, which had already published Mark Pecos, Remembering Youngstown, the, the, the collection he edited years ago. And uh, I was impressed with that, that book. And uh, um, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. We like this project. We're not as familiar with the Youngstown market at this point. We would like you, however, since your other book was a dissertation, we'd like to see how you do with popular history. Yeah. We have two other projects, Strauss's Department Store and, uh, mm-hmm. and Restaurants of Youngstown. They said, would you be interested in taking that on? And both of them turned out to be. They were not projects I selected because wow. I, had a, I had one book that I was doing and suddenly I had three, <laughs> which is not an ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, but I found them both compelling topics, mm-hmm. much more uh, uh, engaging than I expected. Because, of course, uh, for some of the reasons we discussed, uh, the social history of uh, of Youngstown is really reflected in the kinds of yeah. restaurants that were established here. Strauss's department store, uh, the Strauss family were, uh, uh, you know, were leaders in the local Jewish community. Clarence Strauss was the founding president of the Youngstown Area Jewish Federation, wow. what is now the Youngstown Area Jewish Federation. So they both turned out to be much more interesting projects than I than I anticipated, and um, and I actually had one the historian of my dissertation committee review the manuscripts. <laughs> <laughs> he was unhappy with what had to be cut. There were space limitations, but uh, but he was pleased with with the manuscripts. I see. I see. Yeah. Now, um, for anyone who may not be familiar, um, and by the way, there were co-authors for those books. Oh, co-authors. Mike, uh, Mike Geltz, who actually had some experience in the retail industry, was oh, okay. my co-author with Strauss's Youngstown's Dependable Store. Mm-hmm. Gordon Morgan really pulled Youngstown's uh, uh, classic restaurants of Youngstown out of the fire because my mother became gravely ill oh, okay. uh, at one point when I was working on the project. And uh, I had two co-authors, Gordon and the late Joshua Foster, Jack Kravitz's nephew, mm-hmm. who, who contributed uh, significantly to uh, uh, his, the Jewish Youngstown project. What would you say? Um, what is it about Strauss's that makes that department store store so important? Well, I think I think it was. Um, uh, the, the, you really almost have to go back before the history of of, of Strauss's itself, because uh, Isaac Strauss, when he came here in the eighteen sixties, um, came through Castle Garden. You know, as a teenager. Okay. He had a distant cousin uh, by the name of David Theobald, who had a company called David Theobald and Company. And it was a, uh, he was really, I guess you'd say, the state-of-the-art retailer of the, of the, the mid-19th century okay, okay. in Youngstown. We were, essentially, we were a rustic, pioneer town mm-hmm. where people engaged in haggling, uh, bartering. Uh, retail was very different. 
And uh, he was the first in the community to establish a one-price policy. The price on that merchandise is the price you pay. Okay. He was the first to, to engage in uh, these extensive New York buying trips, mm. which ensured that local residents were exposed to some of the latest styles, oh, okay. latest trends. Okay. That, um, and he really uh, uh, served as a kind of mentor and surrogate parent to Isaac Strauss after he came here. And they were not close cousins. Mm-hmm. They were distant cousins. But they, he, uh, he really looked after Isaac Strauss. He sold Isaac Strauss and one of his uh, business partners their first store, the little woolen store, which became Strauss Hirschberg. That was the first oh. uh, 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 department store. And they grew right along with the community to the point that they, in 1926, after Clarence Strauss had taken over the business, uh, uh, Isaac and Strauss, Strauss had died the following year, they opened up the store that we all know downtown, that building. And that was designed by Start and Van Vleck, which designed Saks Fifth Avenue, and oh, okay. they're the flagship store of Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. Wow. So it's a real treasure, yeah. you know, but... Uh, but it was an immigrant success story for the first part of its history. Yeah. And even afterward, when the May Company, uh, when the company, when Strauss's was purchased by the May Company, became a division of that uh, corporation, the May Company was very careful about maintaining the policies that uh, the Strauss family had implemented. Mm-hmm. And uh, so people always had a sense that this was locally owned, even when it wasn't, because those traditions were respected up until the end. And even while the, as the store grew and developed suburban branches, they continued to be loyal to the downtown. They uh, uh, supported efforts to revitalize the downtown. Okay. And uh, so I, I think people had good reason to view it as a local institution, even when technically it no longer was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tom. Thank you, Zizan, yeah, and thank I, you for speaking with us. Yeah, I appreciate it, and uh, uh, and I uh, appreciate your interest. Of course, always. Um, that's classic restaurants of Youngstown, as well as Strauss's, Youngstown's dependable department store. And Tom Welsh has given us a lot to think about today, a lot of great interesting information, things that you may want to look up on your own if you do have the time. And for those of you listening, as always, thank you for tuning in. Thank you again, Zian. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast.